Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb, and we have been busy, my friends. So, so busy. Why are there so many things happening in Magic right now? I feel like I haven't had a free moment, and I don't even know how long. It's just been nonstop news and new formats, and I've been traveling. I went to SEG Atlanta this past weekend, and then there's the... MC coming up in Richmond and then the invitationals the week after that and the formats are changing and I just need a rest, Jerry. I need a nap. Well, that's too bad because we have a podcast to do. We have two formats to talk about and we have to uh, get back on the YouTube train. Oh my goodness. Okay. I guess, I guess more work then. I'll just never sleep again. That's fine. Yeah. So MC Richmond, is it an MC? I guess I don't, I don't know what they're calling it these days. I think it's I think it's still an MC. The next set become the players tours. So this is okay. This is still a mythic championship. Got it. So this is my last invite until I manage to spike a qualifier. This is the last of my team series invites. So I'm gonna go participate in that, play in Oko Fest 2K19. It's gonna be great. And then the week after that, we have SCG Con. You're gonna be doing commentary. I'm gonna be playing some modern and standard. Wait, scratch that modern and pioneer i'm so excited uh me too look i never dread doing an scg event because we have a good time no matter what and we would have joked about it and made it an interesting broadcast regardless of the format we were presented with but man does this make our job so so much easier i will say that the folks who feel a little slighted because they had been prepping for standard this whole time i get it I'm sympathetic. I know that's a tough situation, but the vast, 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 vast majority of players super excited by this change. And the viewers are going to be infinitely excited. Like if you're not actively participating in this tournament, this is such a huge win for you. And it feels like it has really amped up the excitement surrounding the SCG Invitational, where we're starting to kind of peter off a little bit because people are just off the standard. They're not excited about it. That being said, we're going to talk about it for a while because like you said, you have an MC coming up. A lot of our listeners have an MC coming up. I have a GP coming up because I will also be going to Richmond. And my plan right now is to probably play the GP for a few reasons. One of them being, I think this is a setup that really, really benefits you in particular. And I think you're going to now extend that to our listeners and extend that to me and it can create a really, really good situation for folks who are willing to do the homework. And what's quite frankly, not going to be the most fun format ever, but a format that maybe is exploitable. Team of Rec, the end. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. First, I want to backtrack to the being sympathetic comments uh, as far as like the formats changing. Sure. I, looked, I looked at the Twitter thread for SCG's announcements and it is very last like last minute notice to change the format away from standard and to pioneer for those attending SCG con in case you haven't seen it look that up because it's it's relevant to you but for people who need pioneer cards or are looking for some pioneer cards i would like to extend a potential courtesy where if you need something let me know before i leave on this next wednesday i will do my best to try and bring it for you i have a lot of extra commons uncommons i have some things like you know 20 aetherworks marvels and 20 smugglers copters that i inherited from michael majors and you know i'm i'm bringing basically all of my pioneer cards with me and i'm only going to be playing one deck so i i want to do 
my best to actually try and help those who this decision actually affects. Yeah, and I can do the same thing. I don't know that I have the same depth of cards lying around that you do. I still have a whole a lot of holes too in my collection, you know. So don't don't make it look like I I have like every single deck covered or whatever. But I right. will do my best. Yeah, same. I, I wanna I wanna help out. I wanna make this work. And I think it's important that if you are someone who enjoyed this change, if you are someone who benefited from this change, if you are someone who wants changes like this to happen going forward. I think it's really important you help out your fellow players here and make sure people aren't negatively impacted by a lack of card availability. And I will tell you, this was a very, very scary decision for SCG. I don't have inside knowledge of this. I was not involved in this decision process whatsoever. I just show up and say the words. Yeah, um, same. But but I know that they did not take this lightly. They take their player engagement very seriously. They are cognizant of what changes like this mean. and. The fact that they did this is a risk for them. I mean, they're putting themselves out there, but they are just trying to deliver the best product possible. I saw some folks saying it felt like a cash grab. This isn't to be like dismissive of that, but a few hundred people showing up at an event and buying cards, SCG is much bigger than that. That's like a drop right. in a hat. They didn't do this to exploit people showing up at the tournament. I- I'm sure of that. So right. uh, they-, they did it because they wanted it to be an exciting tournament. Yeah, and people are going to buy their Pioneer cards eventually. You know, right. it's not like they're in some big rush, like they have to offload all their stuff. No, that's that's not the case. And there, if you look at the tournament attendance for standard, it is horrible. way down for them. Yeah, our opens have been horrible. There were like 56 people playing the open this past weekend. The classics, yeah. The classics, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the standard classics. I, even at the launch of the format, the Field of the Dead format, the standard numbers were really bad. Right, and I don't anticipate that getting any better based on the fact that you know, Watsi announced that they are not going to make any emergency changes, but they are definitely going to be looking at the ban list after the MC. That's another sort of like ominous feeling thing where it's like, well, mm-hmm. if they feel that there is enough, you know, chatter going on that they have to address it, it means that they are aware of it for sure. Yes. How could you not be? I mean, it's all anyone talks about. And I- I'm not I'm not saying that to dismiss people's concerns. And look, we've been dismissive of people's concerns in the past, right? If you remember during the first banned Faithless Looting discussion, during the rise of Is It Phoenix, you and I were very staunchly trying to pump the brakes on that. But part of the reasons we were trying to stop that is because it kind of overshadows situations where there are legitimate concerns. There's legitimate concerns right now. Standards messed up, straight up. Yes. However, I have the, I guess, interesting viewpoint a unique viewpoint of like you kind of mentioned, this is a format that's sort of good for me where you have a very clear public enemy, right? It is, it is Oko mostly all form shapes and sizes, but specifically I think Sultai is the one that should be the thing that you look at hard targeting because of the numbers. It is very popular. It wins a lot And it has things like four main deck Noxious Grasps to account for the fact that the mirror is very popular. Mm -hmm. So these are things that are all very easily exploitable. Like you want to get an edge. I mean, this is basically the perfect time that you could try and do that because you can play things like Knights or Blue White Control or uh, Is It or Teamer Reclamation. And these decks all have reasonable Simic matchups or Sultai matchups. 
and they don't get hit by noxious grasp. Yeah, and that seems like a very good starting place to me. I will tell you, I'll tell you my first instinct as far as that goes. These decks you mentioned, Team of Reclamation, Blue-White Control, I agree that Noxious Grasp's not great against these decks. You know what card is, though? It's Veil of Summer. And now, as a response to Noxious Grasp, Veil of Summer starts to creep into the main deck. I think and that's overblown, man. Like, So this this was Croaky's thing, right? He was the first I saw to really go into Noxious Grasp really hard. And I, I do think he had some number of main deck Veil of Summer. Yeah. But those exist. I mean, I, I'm seeing it on Arena, and I don't know if it's something that is still propagating or if it's really just an integral part of the format right now. But that's a reasonable response to me. Like, this is a powerful, powerful magic card. And when things are this far inbred, you, you got to consider at least main decking Veil of Summer. Anyway, Crookies, uh Twitch streamer, very frequent contributor to Arena Decklist, the, the Twitter account, always playing in very high mythic, always doing well, usually has innovative stuff. Definitely check him out. He was also, as far as I know, like one of the first people pl- like doing the Sultai thing. And people very quickly latched on to what he was doing for the arena PTQ last weekend. And Saltai did very, very well. They all had like the four main deck Noxious Grass. They had Braska Golgari Queen in the main deck, Massacre Girl in the 75 somewhere to beat up on Selesny Adventures. Like the list that he put out was the thing that ended up being the de facto thing. And most recently he posted a list that was also like, well, at this point I'm just main decking Vela Summer. And I don't know that that's the correct answer because a a few people even replied to his tweet with like, I don't even board in veil in the mirror, you know, because it it doesn't affect that many things. Like if you see a bunch of counter spells, agent of treacheries, mass manipulations, then sure. But just Mm -hmm. for noxious grasps, it's not worth it. Does there reach a point where it becomes worth it? I mean, it's got to be getting close when that like previously there were not a bunch of removal spells going around. And the more important thing is that, like I said, if there are responses to this deck, it does seem like they are the ones that are actually super vulnerable to the veil of summer. So it's an okay card in the mirror. And then these decks that you're mentioning that can really maybe hard target something like Simic based Oko decks, you get your edge back in those by getting a bunch of veil of summer. Right. So, I mean, if you want to circle all the way back to the, I think the first deck I mentioned, which is Knights, if you play Rakdos Knights, they don't care about Veil or Noxious Grasp. Sure. Because they're just a pile of creatures and Embercleaves, basically. And I think that that is a perfectly reasonable way to try and attack Simic to begin with, especially if they're cutting a lot of their low-end stuff and starting to play things like Vraska and even just like more interaction to try and get a leg up in mirror matches, it it leads them to just being super vulnerable to anything that plays like tw- triple one drop against them. There's, there's not a lot of evidence, though, that actually paints that as a viable strategy. Like, shouldn't Knight's decks then have done very well in the MCQ weekend? Don't think that those lists were particularly good. And they were playing against lists that had, like, deputies and stuff. Like, it is very different than the Sultai list now, right? When you're playing like either Simic with, you know, Lower Curve, Questing Beast, Vivian. No, no, no. I'm talking, I'm sorry. I'm talking this MCQ weekend that just happened. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, how many people played Knights? It seemed like- I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. It seemed like Sultai was a pretty big 
part of the metagame, certainly the winner's metagame. Uh, Antonino DeRosa 5-0'd with Red Black Sacrifice, which is kind of doing a lot of similar stuff. Right. And granted, I think his list was more vulnerable to Veil of Summer than something like Emma's list was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of the things I wrote about in my article that I actually did think that deck had a pretty tremendous vulnerability to something like Veil of Summer. Yeah, but at the same point, like you see what I'm saying, right? Where it's like you play red black stuff, don't walk into their cards that they are playing on behalf of the mirror match, and you just exploit them that way. I see what you're saying. I I really do, and I was right here saying it last week, right? Like I thought I had a plan that could exploit this deck. And I'm getting to the point where I am afraid that this deck is just maybe unexploitable. Like maybe this card is so good. I'm talking about Oko now that it patches all these individual weaknesses on its own. It just does everything. And maybe it really is able to go that wide and account for that many things that it just doesn't have holes. Dude, if if they're cutting two drop accelerators for Noxious Grasps and to have like Max Once Upon a Times, if they play turn three Oko and just like make a food, you can either just attack it down or not care or just like hit them, set up Embercleave for lethal next turn. If they have like Goose into Oko, obviously that's problematic. I don't know if you want to do something like play Bone Crusher Giant to try and like time walk you both or maybe just try and fix the mana to the point where you can play Shock or something. But isn't that the core of the problem is that they they always have that? Like with London Mulligan plus Once Upon a Time plus Gilded Goose plus in some instances Arboreal Grazer, like you just have that such a large percentage of games. And I don't know what the numbers are and I'm not a math person, so I'm not going to be able to figure them out for you. But with those kind of configurations, it seems like your percentage of turn two Okos, I mean, you've played the games, you know what it's like. You face an opponent playing this deck and it feels like they always have it. And obviously that's bias and we create these narratives and we buy into them. But there is a large percentage of games where you are routinely presented with turn two Oko. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't played against too many people on ladder who are mulling super hard. I know that Manguji um, was one of the people who was talking about, hey, it doesn't really matter. I just, I mull to five in the mirror until I get turn two Oko or turn three Nissa, And that makes a lot of sense for mirror matches. I don't know if that is exactly what you're supposed to be doing in general, especially once you start adding like these slower, more clunky, expensive reactive cards to your deck. You start playing more things like Fabled Passage that kind of get in the way of those explosive draws, you know? Sure. So like, I don't think that you can necessarily take that approach with Sultai, and I think that people are still going to play Sultai because that's that's the narrative, is you have to be prepared for Oko, so what do you do? I guess we just all ma- main deck four Noxious Grasps, and then, you know, the format's 50% that, and 50% people who are playing red something, or, like, blue-white, you know, trying to not get hit by it. I think Sultai, Sultai probably gets beat like Golos got beat at uh, the last MC. Very possible. Look, I'm pushing you a little bit on this point, because if anything, I think... Our discussion last week underplayed the Yoko side of things, and I don't want to make that mistake going forward here. It's a very real problem. It's a very powerful deck, and I don't think we respected that enough as we were heading into the MCQ weekend. Like I said, the deck that I was high on did pretty miserably. It put one copy into day two, and uh, I think I was just off base. I don't think I had pushed things quite far enough in the direction things needed to be pushed. So I want to acknowledge that failing and not make it again going forward, I think you need to be hard targeting this deck. It's not enough to have a deck that is 
theoretically fine against it. You need to make sure you're fine if you're playing something besides Oko at this point. So Blue White and Team Rec, I think both have a pedigree for being very good against Sultai. And I, I think we could honestly just end, end the podcast there, you know, but like people have been playing these decks. I've, I've actually played with these two decks. I think the Sultai matchup is quite good. And that's like not even knowing how often I'm bricking their noxious grasps, right? Like obviously things change post border, whatever, but the, the Simic decks or pilots, whatever have had this problem throughout the entirety of standard where they're not playing enough things like disdainful stroke and mm. they they just like don't have the tools set up to beat these go bigger control decks because they haven't really needed to. And part of the thing that makes me successful, like when I was, you know, crushing it with Cobblade or Delver or whatever, was that like I respected the, the small strategies. Aggro might not be a big portion of the metagame, but if I can make a couple small sacrifices in order to account for it and make sure that it's within my sideboarding plan and how I'm constructing my deck and everything, I will do that. And I just, I think people just outright dismiss these decks. They're just like, Oh, I'm going to play some mystical disputes or whatever. And then blue white just like plays Drago with you until dispute doesn't do anything. Right. Like if, if these, if these people playing Simic and Sultai were actually hard targeting team Rec and blue white, I think it'd be a different story, but they're just not even close to doing that right now. Right. One of the interesting adaptations I think you could argue for as the Noxious Grasp meta comes into focus is that there's another hate card in your main colors that still hits the mirror, maybe not as effectively, but does account for these problematic enchantments that are starting to pop up. Things like Wilderness Reclamation and Fires of Invention. It's not enough, is, though. That have, is Ether Gust. Do you think that's yeah. just not enough? Have, have you ever played the Simic side of things with Gust against those decks? Like, I was I was low on Gust for a long time. I will tell you that. I, it always felt underwhelming to me. Yeah, because un, unless you are doing things like actually pressuring them, you know, if, if you had the Questing Beast Vivian Brazen Borrower package and you wanted to play Aether Gust instead as a plan against Team Wreck or whatever, I, I would support that. But when you are playing like this slow Planeswalker-centric Hydroid Crisis game plan, you gust the wilderness wreck and it just doesn't matter. They just do it again the same turn, right. the next turn. Like it's not a big deal because you're not actually putting them under pressure. So even in the context of the mirror, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, your opponent plays turn two Oko while well, all Aether gust it. And it's like, well, that doesn't do anything. Yeah, actually, not much has been done. Yeah, actually grasping it does something, which is why they're doing that. that that's why they're splashing for Grasp and Vraska. But yeah, gust, gust just does not do enough when you're not pressuring your opponent. Okay, I, I mostly agree with that. I think it's interesting in terms of an adaptation to some other decks that are popping up to prey on you. Uh, but like I said, it seems more like Veil of Summer does that job more effectively. Uh, you mentioned blue-white control. Like you're still comfortable with blue-white control being favored against the Sultai decks, even in a world where they do have access to just max Veil of Summer? I mean, I don't think anyone is necessarily playing max. Maybe they are, but like you, you still just get to do things like cast time wipe and chemistry's insight and eventually set up a place where you can like to ferry on a dry board. And then you can start agent of treachering them and mass manipulating them. Gadwick is another thing. That's just like this, this really big, like kind of unbeatable thing where if you just give them a bunch of time, you're not actually clocking them. They're just going to bury you. 
And I, I played some games from Simic side last night where it was a, a huge issue. And I even had a sideboard plan with a bunch of disdainful strokes. And like, I was taking that matchup into account, but my opponent played very, very well and ended up just like blanking, you know, the three veils and the two disputes I brought in. I also had three strokes on top of it. And it, it just, it seemed like a complete non-issue to the point where like I had to veil at some point just to resolve a spell because they had right. to vary in play, sure. which is, which is fine. But any one spell that you resolve is not going to beat the setup that they have with all the card drawing and uh, all the late game power and stuff. Well, Gerald, you know that no one is more willing to pick up blue white control than I am. You're speaking my language right now. If this deck has promise going forward, I'm certainly among the most excited people in the room to hear that. Yeah, you should try it, man. Like I, I've played some with that deck too. It it does take forever, obviously, because awesome. you have love it. Yeah, I know. You like this is this is not a downside for you. This is a feature, not a bug. But the deck is just kind of a pile of random cards, just like a mishmash of things, and it's just it's very, very good. I, I don't think it's good in a vacuum, but as far as what the specific metagame is, I think that deck is actually awesome. Nice. I am happy to hear that. It's very high up on my list of things to do in standard. Certainly before we head out to Richmond, I will 100% be familiar with this deck. And let's be honest, I probably have a bias towards playing it. So if it is even close to reasonable, don't be surprised if I'm doing that when it comes to Richmond. Yeah, and I'm actually going to check my uh, arena account right now because I need to see what rank I'm at to see if I have to actually play tonight before the ladder resets. Uh, Because I've been doing this thing where I like play a match or play two matches and like win them. All right. Gain some ranks. And then I just like have to stop playing. Don't really like this system. Uh, I'm at 760 with 14 hours left. I might be okay. I I think you're probably safe. I think the churn is a little bit lower this particular go around. So I I like your odds sitting at 760 right now. But yeah, otherwise uh, I had been trying out various things. I tried like the, the, is it deck that's like, Brineborn Cutthroat, Brazen Borrower, Bone Crusher Giant, Gadwick, mostly a Magic Online deck. But then you get to main deck Aethergust and Mystical Dispute just because they're like good cards, which is kind of great and hilarious. Played that against Simic a few times, thought it was decent at doing what it was trying to do, but it was also very strange where you would Bone Crusher Giant a thing early and then it would just chill in exile and it was like you were playing your hand face up, you know? Hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, playing some matches with that, it's like, okay, this is like kind of doing it, but in the mid to late game, my stuff like Ral's Outburst is just like a little clunky and not very effective for what I'm trying to be doing. And I really need something to turn the corner hard. And then it just kind of dawned on me that Team Wreck is doing the exact same stuff, but also just will blow them out of the water if, if they get to survive. Sure. Yeah, I was pretty high on Team Erect the few games I played with it uh, a couple weeks ago. I think it certainly has potential. Again, you know my feelings on Wilderness Reclamation. And if you're not worried about aggressive decks anymore, which right now it doesn't seem like you are, pretty sweet time to be doing that kind of stuff. Um, one I more mean, deck I wanted to get your opinion on okay. real quick was this Golgari Adventures deck by Chris Kvartek, who's just absolutely murdering it right now. Qualified for yet another arena mc and i know you were high in this deck pre-field ban you played it uh in a local ptq and this is certainly different from the look of your list this gets much bigger three vraskas in the main deck two lilianas 
find, which is a card I know you were low on, plus those four noxious grasps. And then post board, you're looking at a setup of four Veil of Summer for duress. So I was just thinking about the blue white deck. And if that's hard targeting the Simic approach to things, well, maybe this kind of setup is actually the way you want to go there. A little bit more aggression, a little bit more disruption. Any love for this new take on Golgari Adventures? Yeah, I like his take a lot. I, my main issue with the deck before was like, okay, I think I have a good plan for fighting Golos with Questing Beast and Vivian, but a lot of the stuff that I'm doing doesn't really match up that well against Simic, and especially if the pilot is very smart, very well-versed in the matchup, very prepared for the things that my deck is capable of. I, I just felt like I was uh, not able to really get any traction there. Like, there are some games where you can sort of snowball with uh, Innkeeper, but even then, it just doesn't necessarily accomplish all that much. Like, you're getting cards, but then y- you have to work so much more for your cards to actually do anything compared to their cards in the mid-game, right? Because right. they have, like, the powerful Planeswalkers, they have Wicked Wolf, they have Hydroid Crisis, Nyssa, yep. and you're just like, yeah, I have a, a Foulmire Knight or whatever, you know? So in those instances, I actually found myself wanting Find Finality. The initial testing that I did, like the games didn't really play out like that. And I'm guessing it is because my opponents were not great. And which is kind of like the the problem with testing on ladder or in queues or whatever, just against random people, especially when your deck is relatively new or right. you have some weirdo tech choices or whatever. And it also had a lot to do with questing beast, I bet as well. Like as the number of questing beasts has gone down, certainly games have extended. Uh, yeah, that's true too. That's definitely true. So yeah, I, I ended up wanting fine finalities and certainly against the way the decks are built now, I would want fine finality. And obviously the four noxious graphs are going to help you a lot. The Vraskas are going to be very good because you're going to draw some cards and they're going to be like pretty bad permanence or you're going to flood out. Uh, so having that to actually just be an engine and have this thing that continually kills Oko and like picks off their geese and crises and stuff is potentially very huge. Uh, Liliana might be a bit much, but maybe you need it. Well, the deck feels like it can go big enough now. Like it, like you mentioned, you could get to these points where you were doing your thing. You had reestablished your engine and nothing you did mattered. It just was not enough to keep pace. I think Liliana is the one card that can always function as an exception to that multiple copies is something I'm pretty high on. And like I said, I really like what this deck can do in post-board games against these other options that now maybe you have to start accounting for when the format has shifted to a hard targeting type mode. Yeah. I would want to play against Soltai a bunch because I guarantee this matchup super skill intensive. It's going to have a ton of decisions. It's going to be all about, how you play it. It's going to be about slow rolling your edge wall innkeepers in the right spot, pushing them in the other spots, judiciously managing your removal. But if you think about the cards present in this deck, there's so many ways to contain an Oko. That card is unlikely to just run away with the game on its own. And I also like the addition of Castle Lock Dwayne back into the mix. As Like you said, as games get longer, just having these persistent value engines is going to pay a lot of dividends and mitigate flood just a little bit, which this deck has had issues with in the past. Yeah, I played one castle in the PTQ and it was it was decent. I activated it a few times, but it was hard to tell whether or not it actually had any bearing on the outcome of the game. And obviously it gets a lot worse when you start adding like Liliana's and fine finalities to your deck. Like you just Mm -hmm. end up needing it a little bit less. But 
Yeah, after that PTQ, I kind of just written off the deck because the Simic matchup or Bant matchup was pretty poor, but things have changed a lot, and Chris's list is very good. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to add that back to my list and actually test that again because it's not fully a deck that dodges Noxious Grass, but it kind of does. You know, like you're going to sandbag your Innkeeper or your Vraska until you actually get some value out of it, and then they finally get a chance to use their removal spell, but it's kind of too little too late at that point. Yep, that's been my read on it. Also, I will take this opportunity to just like everyone else praise Chris. I was very impressed watching a bunch of his games during the last mythic championship. But beyond that, this is just good deck building. And this is twice now where we were very impressed with his take on Simic leading into the PT. This is another really nice, really innovative take on the archetype. Uh, Chris Kvartek rapidly climbing those clout rankings. We mentioned Crokey's Crokey's also climbing the clout rankings very quickly. Kvartek. These two just marching up towards the top, challenging Andre for that number one slot. Maybe, <laughs> maybe well, I'm going to give it to him, Andre. You better do something soon. Save this MC for me to save your number one spot. Well, it's funny. So Mox Boarding House had the Chalice last weekend, their charity event. And I showed up on Sunday, like towards the end of it, just to hang out with people. And like Brad and BBD were there. They played in the event. Brad won it. And, you know, they, they live around here now and everything. So was chatting with them a little bit. And at some point, Brad asked me like, like, who is, who is this Chris guy? Cause like, he's got a lot of points and like, he's probably going to be MPL. Did he like top eight a PT? And it's like, well, uh, he top eight at a PT and then he lost playing for top eight of the next PT. And then he day two and like had a deep run at the last arena PT. And yeah, he had just like top 16 and queued for this one. It's like, dude is crushing it. Absolutely crushing it. Yeah, I mean, I've been asking the same questions because I think he's from New York and he, he is. I, I was from New York and I have never crossed Chris as far as I know ever in my magic career. Uh, I don't know like if he was downstate or upstate or what, but I want more info on this Chris Kvartek. I want to know more because he is, like I said, really, really impressing. I think everyone involved with the game at this point. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll try and get him on the podcast at some point, I'm sure. I like it. Good idea. But, but yeah, he's he's only got 550 followers on Twitter, which is just absurd considering. Unacceptable. Yeah, well, he's he's not out there like, you know, posting his deck list and like, you know, talking about how much he's crushing it or whatever. He's just like doing it very silently, right? Mm-hmm. So, he's he's not getting nearly enough promotion and they started to promote him a little bit at the last Arena MC like they actually did a write up on him and stuff. But yeah, Kavartek on Twitter. Check him out. Yeah, what else you got for me? I guess my testing list is now Team Rec at the top and then maybe Chris's Golgari deck. I've played some with the blue-white deck and it's it's just not for me. Uh, I do think it is very good though. And then is it, I've basically crossed off the list too. I don't think Celestia Adventures can beat Massacre Girl, Fine Finality, the stuff that these Sultai lists are playing. I could play Sultai in theory. I just think that I have a bigger edge finding ways to dodge all of the inbred nonsense that they're doing. And then Knights is another thing that I have to mess around with at some point. Rakdos. I I think that's a great list heading into this MC. That's a great place to focus. Nothing else really springs to mind. You and I talked about an interesting deck list we received over on the Arena Decklist account. It was an Orzov Doom Foretold list, and I wrote about it in my article this week. It was from Weston Anderson, and 
I'm not sold on this list. I don't want you to think I'm putting this over as like the truth, but it's basically like a burglar rat, charming prince, Yarek's fen lurker, duress, doom foretold, Davriel decklist. And you can find it on the at arena decklist Twitter account. There's something interesting about it in terms of restriction of resources that I don't think has really been attempted in this format. And you couldn't do in the average format because just some aggro deck would punish you. Some deck that didn't need to be super resource intensive would make the strategy look very, very foolish. But this is a format where cards build off of each other. And the only way to keep place with like the Gilded Goose into Oko, into Nissa, into Hydroid Crisis type things is to assemble your own powerful engine or be hyper-focused on disrupting that engine. Those are really your only two paths forward. Yeah. And this skirts all of that. This is just restrict all your resources, give you no options. You can't combine your cards in meaningful ways. And something like Main Deck Duress is probably underexplored, quite frankly, breaking up things in the early game while you establish your A plan. And in the case of Doom Foretold, that A plan is also restricting resources. There's something interesting here. I want to explore the ideas contained. I don't think they're going to bear any fruit, but in terms of like the wild long shot that could potentially do something to this format that could push it in a different direction, strategies like this are interesting to me. It is interesting. I don't think it's particularly good though. I mostly agree, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Yes, like there's this absolutely. weird axis that the format really isn't prepared to account for. And I love that. Like if you can find an axis that nobody is interacting on, that nobody really is considering any of their deck building, you can get a powerful edge. There's there's some bad cards in this deck. That's what it comes down to. Like you're playing Burglar Rat and Yarek's Fenlurker. <laughs> nobody wants to do that into a field of right. Oko. So I don't know how you solve that situation. And, and you probably can't. But I did think it was a really interesting idea, and I just wanted to call it out. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it kind of state it like goes back to the thing that I stated earlier, where Oko is very clearly enemy number one. There are cool things that you can do now, knowing that you just have to go out and explore and actually get them. I've provided a laundry list of things that I'm still working on trying, and things that I have tried already, and. For, for the most part, like, they're decent. Uh, obviously, there's, like, the rest of the format to consider, but, like, what does the rest of the format actually entail, you know? I have no idea at this point. No idea. I, we're rapidly approaching uncharted territory for this standard format in terms of deck penetration. Does look like pre-J spanning is the closest analog I've seen. And that even, like... Jace's ubiquitousness in that format was across a bunch of decks. Like there was Rug and there was like, I think that's the time where Time Warp style decks existed, like big mana decks based on Oracle Maldaya. Maybe I have my time frame a little crossed here. That was a little before, I think. Okay. I think the Time Warp deck happened. Eh, I could be wrong. Yeah, because like I played Time Warp in an SEG and I don't think I would have played that if like, Cobblade were legal. You know? Yeah, that that might be prior to that. There was also a Boros aggro deck, I think, at that time. And none of these were as good as Cobblade, quite frankly. But Rug wasn't even as good as Cobblade, but people still no, played it. It was no, like it wasn't. It was like Cobblade but worse. And people were like, Yeah, I'm about that life. There was also like mono green Eldrazi that would occasionally show up. Yeah, um, I mean that deck was actually good against Cobblade. Yeah, so so there were a couple other options, and many of them contain Jace, like Rug, but the real takeaway is just how congealed around a single archetype this format is. It's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, I agree completely. I side with SEG and 
their decision to change the format. I hope it doesn't impact people negatively, but most of what I've seen so far has been positive and mm-hmm. people having like their excitement for the event rekindled and everything. So I'm about it. What, uh, what are we doing going forward, Jerry? I mean, there, this is, has to be a real question, right? I don't know. I'm going to like play team or wreck or something weird at the pro tour. Hope I get paired against a bunch of Simic people. And no, no, I'm not talking about you. We'll figure out exactly what you're going to do in the next week or so. I'm talking about magic and standard. Oh, they'll, they'll ban gilded goose on Monday or something. (laughs) I'd actually be okay with that. That's pretty acceptable. You're of the opinion that Oko remains safe. I don't know. It's just, it's weird when it's, you know, $80 or whatever it is now. Yeah, mine are six hundred dollars. So well, <laughs> you know how I feel about the situation. Yeah, I'm paying you too much. Right. I think it would be very awkward for them to take a half measure after the Hogak thing. I think they caught a lot of flack right. from that. And this is different, though. It it really is a different situation. Is it like Oko I think so. is Oko's the problem, right? It is a combination of things. Obviously, all the man acceleration, all the card advantage, Hydra Crisis Nissa, all of all of that is problematic. It feels like everything. It feels like everything mushed together. And I think making it an okay deck is a totally reasonable approach in this situation. I I think you can live with that, but maybe you can't. I I don't know. I wouldn't want to have to make this decision. That's all I will say. You're you're right. Oko's the problem. Like I'm skirting around the issue and trying to find a solution because I don't know that that's a realistic answer. But what would be the biggest nerf to the deck if you could ban one card? Can I ban more than one card? I no. mean, like, that's what I would really like to do. No, one card. It's Oko. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, without question. And if you wanted to ban two cards but keep Oko, is it Goose Nissa? I think you have to look at Once Upon a Time at some point and just how ah. it... No, but there's a problem with the way it requires games to play out. And the certainty of having those accelerants is like a real issue I would look at it. I don't know that that's the answer. And like a really, really clean thing to do would just be get rid of the one mana accelerants. But I also now have full art foil gilded geese, which I paid a lot of money for. So I'm going to be angry about that too. Well, uh, if that they, ends up being the solution, they went up. So you can a always lot. sell it. So you can always sell them. They are also a modern all-star. Yes. So you're, you're not losing out on too much. They're also the new death Ride shaman. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, yeah, I believe we answered that on, on the cast. Was it last week? Uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like so long ago. So much has happened. I know millions of things have happened. Yeah. One, one man accelerators, I think are pretty silly. I think if you get rid of Oko, the goose is more of a Lotus petal than it is a Llanowar elf. Mm -hmm. And that is probably fine. But then food just in general, doesn't see a lot of standard play, which, you know, kind of sucks because it's one of the set mechanics and yep. whatever. But yeah, you, you could look at obviously Nissa, Krasis, Once Upon a Time, things like that. Uh, if I were in the building, I would want to just go super hard on examining the data and look at things like play draw and how often turn two Oko happens and how much the win rates change when you don't play Goose on turn one and stuff like that. I think, I, I don't think you can just look at matchup percentages. Sure. You know? No, that sounds like a good approach. Yeah, it would be interesting. I'd have a lot of fun playing with that data. But yeah, standard standard mess up, and we should talk about Pioneer, because Pioneer great. Let's do that. And let's let's talk about why we're doing that. 
I mean, we're kind of torn right now, right? Like usually we focus in pretty hard on one topic per show, but I honestly do think our listener base is split right now. I think the broader listener base more than anything wants to hear about Pioneer. This is the point of excitement in magic as it stands right now. I also think we have a duty to prepare people who are headed to this MC who have standard tournaments to play. And I don't want to neglect that side of things. Yeah. Like me, what the, the hell man? It doesn't seem like you, like me as well. So I'm, I'm happy to talk about that, but that is why we're doing these split format shows. And I know it's a little weird and a little outside our usual, usual operating procedure. It's fine. Uh, We've I, done this before. Yeah, this is the second week in a row, though, and that's, that's true. generally not how we approach things. But I just wanted to explain to our listeners who, you know, both sides probably feel a little slighted. The folks who want three hours on Pioneer are upset we're talking about Standard, and the folks who want three hours on Standard are upset we're talking about Pioneer. So you yeah, understand so, why we're doing it. So we'll split them and just make both camps unhappy. That's what we right. decided to do. As long as everyone hates us. That's the ideal outcome. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. The problem with standard is that there's only so much you can talk about, right? And I would like to be able to be like, oh, I played a hundred matches with Team Rec and here are my results and all that, but I have not had the time to do that. So I've been creating content on the SEG side of things for Pioneer mostly because it is the new hot thing and have been playing some also just because I want to, and it's fun for me, and I should not work 24 hours a day, even though I want to. But I've been doing a decent amount of Pioneer, and I think what we covered in Standard is acceptable, and hopefully that's okay and we don't get yelled at. I hope so too. But basically, our excitement for Pioneer is at a peak, and the only thing that could amplify it would be unfiltered access to the format, the freedom to just build and brew and play absolutely whatever we want, regardless of cost. Look, and man, our, listen, our friends, listen, you, you, you have, you have a credit card. You can buy foil extended art, gilded gooses. You could buy pioneer stuff on moto too. I could, but instead but our friends at card hoarder yeah, have I stepped in. Yes, I don't recommend it either. Our friends at Card Hoarder have stepped in to do a little sponsorship for us and hooking us up with just large, large accounts and saying, Brian and Jerry, go to town, break this format in half. We couldn't be happier to do so. And just wanted to take a moment to shout out our friends at Card Hoarder. And if you're looking to get into the pioneer format, this is definitely the way to do it. Yeah, I've, I've always heard uh, good things about these rental services and like Card Hoarder specifically, but had never done it myself because it was like, oh, I would just have like the one modern deck that I was working on and then I would sell that and buy another deck. And now right. Pioneer happens and it's like, well, I just want to have access to all these cards. And this is by far the best, like most cost efficient way to do it. If you are trying to play Magic Online and test out a bunch of different ideas and stuff. Yeah, really excited to be able to engage with the format this broadly. And that also means that you and I are going to be free to make all the content we want in this format. And what we're talking about recording right now, some matchup breakdowns where we just play a matchup and really go in depth on our thoughts as we play. Much like if you've watched our Brawl series over on the Arena Deckless YouTube page, You'll see our pretty faces down in the corners. You'll see both of our hands at the same time. And we'll just talk through our decision process and exactly what we're trying to accomplish. I think I would want to start with the pillars of the format. I'd really like to do something with like Soul Tie Control versus one of the other top decks as you see it. So maybe we'll start there. 
Yeah, the, the first this the first two I was thinking of was Sultai versus Phoenix and Sultai versus Copycat. I like both those a lot, and I, I think that's a great place to start. Maybe we should talk about why we're pegging those as maybe the decks we need to focus on right now. There was the first big Pioneer tournament, the Pioneer Challenge on Magic Online, and it was in fact won by Sultai Midrange, Sultai Control. What are we calling this deck? I would say Midrange. Uh, it is, it's Thoughtseize, Spot Removal. There are a couple counter spells, but they're only incidental counter spells in Drowning the Lock and Gilded Goose, Oko, Jace Friends Prodigy, Corsair Crew Fix, stuff like that. This deck looks cool. This deck looks like what I want to do in Magic. And the fact that this is where the format's starting, this is the first successful deck. It's got to be pretty promising, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't really get the opportunity to play mid-range or control, like some sort of reactive deck in a brand new format. But this deck is proactive in that specifically the first place list has eight Planeswalkers, uh, right. not, not counting Jace VP. And then you have things like Thoughtseize, you have Abrupt Decay Assassin's Trophy, which cover a lot of different problematic cards in the format. And you just have a bunch of good card advantage and life gain and stuff. So like, it doesn't really have a downside and you're playing most of the removal and cards in general that just say, kill a thing, like whatever your opponent's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And decks like this can just beat up on synergy decks very, very well. Yeah, we talked a bunch about the quality of removal in the format. And I think we were trending towards Fatal Push as like the de facto best removal spell. I actually think it's Abrupt Decay. I think that's the key point of interaction for these decks. And a lot of decks will be playing both, obviously. So that's a moot point. As you see in this first place list, four copies of Abrupt Decay, four copies of Fatal Push. But for me, Abrupt Decay's stock has really risen as I've thought more about the format. Bought four foil Abrupt Decays when I was at SCG Atlanta this weekend, of course. Got to make sure they're shining. They're really cheap. I was surprised at how cheap they were. But yeah, I I think that's my focal point right now. And this is a deck that I'm so pleased to see having success early because this is really what I love to play. Yeah, I I was excited about this deck too. I wrote up a sideboard guide for our patrons and posted it on the website. And it looks really good. And from this first place list, there's very, very little I want to change. So shout out to Ors and I believe to Aspiring Spike who built like the initial version of this and Spike also got third place in the tournament. Yeah, slightly different list. Fewer Planeswalkers in Aspiring Spike's deck. No Liliana, The Last Hope, no Vraska. What do you think about Vraska in the first place list? I'll be honest, that's not a card I particularly targeted as a big player in this format. Well, Spike is not playing Gilded Goose. And right. has a lot of the check lands instead of the fast lands. Whereas Ors was like, well, I'm going to just play a bunch of planeswalkers, play the goose and play the fast lands. And I like that approach better. Me too. Uh, but Vraska, I think is pretty good for a lot of the same reasons that abrupt decay is good. And obviously you run into some issues maybe with having diminishing returns on things that say kill CMC three or less. But the reason I like decay a lot is because of, all the three mana planeswalkers running around and some mm-hmm. decks just have a bunch of them. So having access to Vraska that can do that uh, either repeatedly or do it and then be a, uh, you know, card filtering engine, life gain engine, stuff like that. seems really good to me, especially if you have goose to accelerate into it. Do you see a window to exploit is a little generous right now, large CMC creatures, something like, Gurmag Angler comes to mind. Is yeah. is there a weakness in the format right now? To yes. Me? Yeah, absolutely. I see it as well. Look at this deck. I mean, you have you have Fatal Push and Abrupt Decay, but like the problem is it also has Oko. 
<laughs> right. Oko solves all problems. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, four Okos in Spike's list, three in Orz's list, and then both of them have an Assassin's Trophy. They have two Drown in the Locks. Like, they're pretty well covered, honestly. Right. But in in general, I think, you know, you, you play against a deck that has four Fatal Push, four Abrupt Decay. You play a four or five mana creature, and it might be trouble for them. Yeah. Mostly agree. Uh, you're right, though. There's a, there's a lot of catch-up mechanisms and catch-all mechanisms, I should say. Thoughtseize, let's not forget that. Right. Any problem your deck might have, you can just answer it through Thoughtseize. And with Jace Friend's Prodigy, it's not like Thoughtseize is only your early game card, only ripping it off the top. Like You can set up Thoughtseize in key spots as well. Yeah, of course. J- like Jace is so good. And one of the, the common things I've seen from going over the Pioneer Deckless Twitter account is people playing Jace in Band Company with like four Collected Companies, two Dramocus Commands, and no other spells main deck. And people just commenting like, oh, your Jace is so bad. Why is it in the deck? And it's like, y'all y'all forgot about Standard three years ago? Right. And this, this was just the thing. This is what people did because Jace as a Merfolk leader for the first few turns is awesome. And then Jace that gets to uh, affect the board in a decent amount by making creature combat a lot easier for you is awesome. And then if you ever get to flashback a spell with it, boom, like it's basically already paid for itself, but now you get an extra collected company on top of it. You know, like Jace doesn't need a lot of help to be incredible. And it's basically always incredible. Yeah, if you didn't live through the Jace era, you're probably underestimating this card. A lot of folks did when Jace Rin's Prodigy came out. It's easy to remember it costing $50, but if you actually go back to release time, there were a lot of people who were not high on this card. I know this because I was very high on it and I ordered a bunch of them and I made a lot of money on it. So its power is not clear on its face. As you play more and more games, you understand just how impactful this effect is. And getting a really good Planeswalker for two mana, uh, you can't beat that. I mean, we've seen Ren and Six. Jace Friend's Prodigy is like the predecessor to Ren and Six, and it's got a lot more vulnerabilities, but when it flips, it, the power is there, 100%. So it's two mana. It is a single pip, which means it's pretty easy to splash or splash other things in your blue deck. Yep. It gets to filter you through, like, basically however many cards you want, right? Because you can uh, either choose to loot before you cast your spell, or you can play a couple spells and then loot with Jace to transform it. Or you can loot a couple times and then use those cards to delve for dig through time or whatever and continue looting. Or you can just like flip it on turn three, turn four. And you just have this thing that immediately takes up to six loyalty and nerfs a creature a little bit. And then you get to untap and like kill two things. And you still have this planeswalker lying around. Like it is very good. It's two mana and it's effectively must kill unless you're doing something that just completely ignores your opponent. Spot on. I think that's an accurate assessment. And if you don't have a spell to flash back, whatever. You know, you're you're playing creatures, you're doing your collected company thing, you loot it a few times, so hopefully you have a good amount of traction, you've been able to make your land drops and use your mana every turn, and you got a bunch of stuff going on, and you have this Planeswalker that's just ticking up. And then if you ever draw a collected company, boom, you just like cast it and flash it back. Uh, over the course of two turns, probably, and you're you're just money. You're set. Yeah, you probably found another Jace and all of that if you need it, and you get even more collected companies from your graveyard. It, it chains very rapidly, basically. Yeah, uh, I've I've also like posted some decks where people are just like, "Yo, is Jace even good in this deck?" And the answer is always yes, one hundred percent of the time. Always yes. Anyway, card is busted. 
one of the defining cards in the format. I mean, it's not the only reason why people are playing like Fatal Push and Wild Slash. Obviously, there are things like Monastery Swiss Spear that you have to kill, but like Jace is the scariest two drop, I think. There's some challengers to that throne, and maybe we find them in the second place list in this Pioneer Challenge. I don't think we initially intended to work through this top eight, but maybe that's just the best place to start with discussion of the format. Yeah, I like it. Nam playing... Is it Phoenix? I was initially pretty low on this deck. And then after, too. after seeing it in action, it's like, okay, yeah, this this plays out a lot better than I thought it would because you get access to things like Fiery Temper. You get to play Lightning Axe, which is way above rate for removal in this format. And that is true. Yeah, you actually don't really care about the Discord part of it because you're either managing a Fiery Temper, discarding a Phoenix, or filling your graveyard for Treasure Cruise. Yeah, very fair point. This is certainly the deck that pushes on the Blue Delve spells the hardest. Like this is the best four treasure cruise deck I've seen thus far. I didn't think the Arclight Phoenix offense was going to be enough. But when I'm talking about Abrupt Decay being the best removal spell and then that closely followed by Fatal Push, you can understand why. Arclight Phoenix is finding success. Do you have your eyes right now on a removal spell that is going to have to become a larger part of the format if Arclight Phoenix is here to stay? A lot of my sideboards have Magma Spray. Yeah, that's a nice one. Is there something else I'm missing out on? What's the text on Deck and Stone? It's been so long since I've cast a Deck and Stone. Doesn't that hit all copies of a card? It does, yeah. Yeah, it's good against tokens. Uh, if you exile like two Phoenixes with it, they get two clues. But yeah, I think you can mostly live with that exchange. I, I like Deck and Stone. That seems like a removal spell that should maybe get some more traction. Uh, but unsurprisingly, white seems to be the worst color by a pretty good margin in Pioneer. And we did expect that going into things. The only thing white really enables is multicolored spells and Felidar Guardian. Yeah, there's Felidar Guardian and Teferi. There are some Azorius control decks that have Teferi Time Raveler and maybe go up to fairy hero of dominaria and stuff but the the two mana removal is not great blessed alliance last breath seal away and deck and stone are some of the things that i've seen people play but there's just not a good one mana option but the gold cards are solid it was zoria's drum too if that counts sure yeah like your your two mana removal is fine but it is way narrower than what everyone else is doing like why would you play azorius control when you can play something like Sultai or even just Demir, you know? Oh, that's the eternal question, Jerry. And for some reason, people always talk themselves into Azorius Control, myself included. Yeah. So we just do it. I don't know why, but I agree as it stands right now in this format, Sultai way more appealing to me if I'm trying to take a longer game approach. Hell yeah, dude. I love it. I love hearing that. I guess it's because you have those uh, foil gooses. That's probably why. Right. Although I also have those foil Fey of Wishes. Maybe I can find a home for those too. I highly doubt it. <laughs> we shall see. All right. Third place, Aspiring Spike with Sultai. Another good person to follow on Twitter because he regularly brews in Modern and now Pioneer and has uh, some of the sweetest deck lists, decks that I really respect and also can do quite well with them. So for sure. Third place was Sultai. He lost to Nam in the top four playing Phoenix. And then in fourth place, we got a little mono blue Devo. Four copies of Quench. Thanks. I hate it. Quench gets better when the mana bases are built around the fast lands. I'll say that. Like when you're playing your fourth land tapped a lot of the times, I am convinced you'll catch more with Quench. 
but the cards contained in this deck, I am surprised they have added up to a successful magic deck. You're not really interacting in very meaningful ways. This has the tiniest pinch of disruption imaginable, and that's supposed to carry the day. And you just lean on your Master of Waves and Tempest Gins and end the game pretty quickly. I guess that's fine while things are unfocused. Check this out. This deck has four Mutavolts, right? 24 land. Yeah, yeah. You have four Tempest Gins. Yep. Merfolk Trickster, Harbinger of the Tides, stuff like yeah. that, right? Never cast any of those cards. You need you need Blue Blue on turn two, Blue 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 on turn three. Yeah. Uh, maybe need is a strong word. I suppose you could like, you know, Copter and then play Tempest Gin on four or whatever, but then why? Why not just play a bunch of islands? If you want your Colorless Land to be a Nykthos, it's probably going to be very powerful and also like free roll the... A- actual color source on like turn four so i think that's fine and then at that point you have so many wizards you can just play wizards retort instead of quench i would be so much happier doing that or even just playing like spell pierce instead because what creatures do you care about with this deck you have trickster and harbinger and brazen borrower uh you have like thassa these flyers whatever like what what do you care about creatures for just play pierce Mostly agree. I mean, I would I would consider stubborn denial as well. We've talked about this though, and that does have some flaws. But d- definitely a little concerned about quench, and concerned about this deck in general. And maybe the entire plan is to discard the mutabolts to the smuggler's copter, and that's how you deal with them. Uh, I guess. I mean, that takes a lot of setup, but yeah, I suppose it gets there eventually. Uh, a decent amount of people have actually had success with mono blue devotion, and it always looks pretty bad but then still performs kind of well. And at least this time it has reasonable magic cards in it, right? Yeah, it should be hyper consistent. And when people are still figuring out a format, I could understand why this deck preys on a lot of the weirder stuff you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, you got clock, you you got some tricksiness, you have a lot of different ways to actually use your mana, you have some counterspells as disruption, there are spy glasses in the sideboard and stuff, so you're covered yeah, do against you, Do you Marvel think they know Pithing Needle is legal, and they chose to play Spyglass over Pithing Needle? Look, the decks are weird, right? And yeah. maybe maybe you just don't know. Just you're want like, the info? You're like, yo, my, my opponent is obviously doing some weird stuff, I bet Needle would be good against them, I have no idea what to name them. Uh, I'm I'm not saying 100% it's wrong. I'm just asking the question. Like I cuz I think that's a reasonable thing to forget about and I think if I had started building my decks in this format, there's a good chance I miss Pithy Needle. Mm, that's fair. Eventually I would get it right. Right. But I mean, you start your sideboard with like four negate, four spell pierce, like to me it's just like oh, I haven't really thought too much about fine tuning my list, so I could see Spyglass making it in because they forgot about needle or because they didn't have needle on their account, but they did happen to have spyglass or right. they're just like, I don't, I want to play in this tournament because it sounds fun, but I don't know what I'm going to play against. And this will make it easier, you know? Sure. Defensible. I don't know. People can do whatever they want. Agreed. Fifth place, mental misstep Four color Sahili. This list looks very good. Mental misstep has a bunch of trophies. I assume with this list, my list is pretty similar to this. Any takeaways as far as this deck goes? Anything people are doing wrong? Anything you'd like to see more of going forward? Uh, I'm writing about it this week. Uh, So that will be up on Star City probably the same time as this podcast. And I like Oko, Sahili, Teferi. All of those are wonderful, wonderful magic cards. 
You don't have a lot of good options for two mana things, so I would want to play a bunch of one mana things. Like Gilded Goose is obviously very good with Oko, and then mm-hmm. there there ain't nothing wrong with just playing Elvish Mystic and Llanowar Elves to accelerate into those cards. You just have to play a bunch of dual lands. Sure. And then uh, two drop, two hard of Kirin. I also agree with that. I think that's a good number for that. It if, if they, you know, if you get unlucky somehow and they manage to kill your one drop, you need something to do on turn two. Uh, Heart of Kieran is probably the best thing to follow up with a Planeswalker. And then Heart either pressures them, pressures their Planeswalkers, or defends your Planeswalkers, so that's great. And then you have Oath of Nissa, Felidar Guardian. Mental Misstep has two Reflector Mage, two Rogue Refiner. Rogue Refiner kind of helps free roll the Aether Hubs. And they're they're not playing any Attune with Aethers or anything. This is just like a five-color land. And Rogue Refiner is a backup source of energy. Uh, that is also good when being blinked, but I don't think you necessarily need to take that approach. Reflector Mage, obviously, very, very strong, very good with Felidar Guardian. We never got to see that in standard. And then. Yeah, probably a good thing. Yeah. And then the list is rounded out by like a random Brazen Borrower, one once upon a time, two Wild Slash. Wild Slash, I think, is very good because it interrupts the combo yep. uh, in mirror matches where they have to minus three Sahili onto Felidar, which leaves it at one loyalty and gives you a window to actually shock that thing. Uh, and then it's a very cheap piece of interaction for killing opposing mana dorks from like Mono Green Devotion and killing Monastery Swiss Beers from Red Decks. So uh, Wild Slash, if you can cast it, I think is very good. Uh, you mentioned no good twos. I would consider walking ballista in this deck. I think that's totally reasonable to just it's play fine. ballista on too. It's fine. It's not good. Yeah, you can end up with a lot of mana in the late game as well. And picking off multiple mana dorks is fine. I wanted to ask you about the once upon a time numbers because I don't have a sense of what this number is supposed to be. I proposed a theory in commentary on the SCG tour this weekend that the correct number of once upon a time is always zero, one, or four. This theory was based on nothing. It's literally just me just saying a thing that I, for some reason, feel in my heart and can't tell you why I feel that way with any kind of clear reasoning. I need to suss it out a little bit more and understand exactly why I feel that way. But one, what do you think about that? Two, what do you think about the number of once upon a time for this particular deck? So a while back, I gave Andrew Brown a foil Japanese Uvenwald Mysteries because we used to do a segment on the podcast that he really liked that I eventually killed. But I looked through my collection. I found this thing and I was like, oh, it's, you know, two years, three years after Andrew left the podcast. I think you would like this. So I gave this to him. He seemed very happy about it. Today, I picked up my roommate from work who works at Wizards and is in play design, works with Andrew and all that. And he handed me a present. It was a sleeve with a card in it and had a piece of paper over it that said from Abro to Jerry. And I lifted the sleeve and it was a foil full art once upon a time. Okay. See, we have an issue right now, Gerald. What's up? Because uh, I, I talked to Andrew last week and I knew he had gotten this oh, no. foil, foil once upon a time. And we had some discussions about it. Okay. And I was like, you know, I would really love a foil full art once upon a time for my Primeval Titan deck. If you were thinking about what to get me for Christmas, you could certainly consider sending that my way. And it seemed like he was into that. It seemed like he oh thought my God. it would be a nice me? thing to do for me. Are you telling me that this thing that I thought was mine and was just like this very nice gift, like I gave him an Uvenwald Mysteries and then he gave me this $100 card or whatever? 
are you telling me that this thing is supposed to go to you instead? I think now that maybe this is a secret plot to tear us apart and put us against each other on behalf of Andrew, maybe setting up for a return to the podcast. Who knows exactly what his motivations are right now? Or he's trying to get you to quit and to go work for Wizards. Also a possibility. Who knows? There, you always have to watch Andrew. He's always up to something. Anyway, um, my okay, so we're, we're going to come back to this. First, I want to point out that this segue was because I wanted to point out that I now have a foil for once upon a time, so I'm only going to play one copy in this deck. Okay, so it's obviously correct based uh, on that. But from what I'm hearing now, and this is this is messed up. Like, <laughs> why, why would he get my hopes up like this if it's not for me? I don't know, man. Like I said, there's something going on here. This, this is an Uvenwald mystery, actually. Oh my god! This this story just has layers, man. <laughs> that was the whole setup. Is he just wanted to make an Uvenwald mystery happen on the podcast? So I don't I don't like get my hopes up very often because I I had been burned a lot as a child, right? Sure. So I was used to constant disappointment, and then I learned this is like actually pretty sad. I learned to just expect nothing from anyone and kind of just assume that the worst was going to happen. And then when it didn't, I would be pleasantly surprised. Right. Right. So from maybe like 10 years old to like 30 years old, that's how I lived my life. Okay. Nice things would happen. I would be like, yeah, there's there's probably a catch. You know, maybe I'll get hit by a car later or something. I don't know. And I just like never allowed myself to be happy about things. Recently, I have... Been, been kind of working on that and been allowing myself to be happy about, you know, just being alive and the people who are in my life and the people I care about and all the nice small things that happen on a daily basis while also trying to not sweat the other stuff. Right. And are you going to tell me that this foil once upon a time has you now questioning that stance? Yeah, I think I might be like relapsing or whatever. I don't know. Like, wow. I, I so. Veen got in my car, he handed this thing to me, and I was just like, what is this? Oh, damn, like, this is, this is nice, right? Like, this is maybe one of the nicest things that, you know, people have done for me. Without context, you know, it could have said, like, to Jerry, give to Brian, or whatever, and I would have been like, oh, okay, cool, like, Brian's getting this nice thing. But yeah, now I don't even know, man. I'm messed up, but uh, I guess I'm playing zero Once Upon a Times in this deck. Yeah, you're out on Once Upon a Time. I actually do already have a foil full art once upon a time that I open in my collector's booster. Uh, so maybe, maybe it's best that we both just play one, one foil once upon a time <laughs> in our no, guardian decks. No, man, it's, it's fine. I will give it to you. If that was the intended nature of it, I just feel like I was, I was tricked. You know, I was duped. I don't know. So yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have to work that through my system, but we can we can leave that behind. That was an awkward uh <laughs> <laughs> awkward uh moment in the podcast, podcast history, but yeah, uh 0 1 or 4, I can kind of buy into one copy of Once Upon a Time in this deck. To me sort of makes sense because you have 18 creatures, 21 land, not a whole lot of variability for options. Mm -hmm. You know, so like if you open on this, you're generally looking for a very specific thing. It's like, oh, I need my second or third land. I want a one drop dork. I want to find my Felidar guardian, whatever. Right. And you're going to cast it and you're only going to have one option. You're not going to be able to like pick between like a, a two drop or a three drop or a four drop to fill out your curve. So 
Uh, I don't necessarily like having this card in the deck at all. And okay. I certainly don't want four copies because you are pretty tight on mana and you have plenty of things to do with your mana already and a lot of Planeswalkers that get you extra value and you're like blinking Oath of Nyssa and bouncing it with Teferi and stuff like that. So I just don't think that you have a lot of time to actually cast Once Upon a Time, even on like turn six. Yeah, this feels like a one or zero deck for sure. Uh, I'm not sure which of those is correct. But when I have a lot of misses, I'm more inclined to just do the one thing. And then basically I look at it as you just are really trying to incentivize hitting that one drop accelerant. And now you get to play 10 virtual copies as opposed as opposed to nine and also get some utility out of it if it doesn't prove to be that. Yeah, so you could just play more one drops, but obviously could. there are some diminishing returns there. And at some point you would rather just have a once upon a time in your opening hand instead of another one drop. Yep. So I can understand diversifying a little bit that way. Uh, awkwardly enough, the current list that I have slated to go up in my article has four copies of Once Upon a Time, and I'm being a lot greedier with my mana. Okay. I look forward to seeing that. I, I do think there's a world where if you're making enough mana, you can justify this. I'm also going to assume, and maybe I'm wrong, I'm going to assume you have four copies of a tune with Aether in that deck? No. So that that's the thing is I cut Aether Hub and I cut Rogue Refiner. Okay. That's why I okay. wanted additional ways to fix my mana and be able to find the correct colored source or find the Gilded Goose on turn one. And I just kind of hope that the things that I'm thinking about where on turn six, I won't have the mana to cast this isn't necessarily true. Okay. Interesting. It's also awkward because I have a lot of spells in my sideboard, like non-creature, non-land stuff. So I end up siding them out in like a third of the matchups, I think which is a, a blessing and a curse, right? It's like, oh, cool, I have this easy thing that I can turn to to side out, but it's like also kind of part of the mana base and as part of the consistency of the deck. But uh, when you're boarding in like Fry, Mystical Dispute, Rest in Peace, stuff like that, you don't necessarily need to curve one to three every time either. So, Okay, that makes sense. But dude, all, all of this adds up to, I still have no idea what the correct amount of Once Upon a Times is in any deck. It is a puzzle we were all trying to solve fervently. And obviously the correct answer is always based on how many full art foil copies you own. So keep making your decisions that way and hopefully clarity will come to you. I guess it's zero for me because despite Sounds this correct. one having my name on it, it was yeah. not actually meant for me. Sounds correct to me. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'm cutting these four, adding two lands and you know, two <laughs> wild slashes or whatever. I don't know. Such is life. God, this podcast is weird. What a weird episode. All right, sixth place. More for color Sahili. This one Harness is... Harness Lightning this time. Yeah, less less Oko. More Attune with Aether. Harness Lightning, Rogue Refiner. I, I don't like the energy cards. They're actually not efficient compared to what everyone else is doing. Yeah, there's a lot of Attune with Aether floating around, and I am worried. That card was good when you played all of the energy cards, and I feel like maybe people are forgetting that a little bit. Yeah. Like the packages I've seen using Attune with Ether don't really go all that hard on it. Uh, and I'm worried about that. So the thing I will note is that Rogue Refiner uh, does crew Heart of Kirin, and it is good with Felidar Guardian. That said, I would still rather have some amount of Reflector Mages. Okay. It is nice to have Hub and a plethora of energy and not really have to worry about your mana, though. But... Harness Lightning instead of just playing Wild Slash and playing a tune with Ether instead of Traverse. Like these are these are not 
good sacrifices. You can figure out ways to make your mana better uh, up to and including doing what I saw two different Japanese players doing, which was just not playing red at all and casting Sahili off of Gilded Goose, Oath of Nyssa, and Interplanar Beacon. Yeah, that's worth noting. Uh, Oath of Nyssa deals with a lot of these Planeswalker mana issues you would otherwise have, and you're going to find that in such a high percentage of games. So maybe people are uh, accounting a little bit too much for the red splash in their decks. Yeah, I, I think Wild Slash is really good. Harness Lightning strikes me as pretty medium, but I, I do think that you want some sort of instant speed interaction. But I mean, maybe there's just a point where you say, you know, screw it. I'm going to play Deck and Stone and that's it. Or you just do what you were talking about, play Walking Ballista, because that can also interrupt the combo. I don't think Walking Ballista is very good in this format, though. Like the, the good cards are just automatically too toughness. Okay. So you keep saying Wild Slash is, is very good. And I, I know what you mean. It's not a good magic card, though. Like, it's basically shock with a small amount of upside. And No, it, it is. It's shock. It's shock. Especially yeah. in, like, these uh, Sahili decks, it is shock. That is, that is not a good magic card. That's a contextually fine magic card, and it's among the best options we have, especially in that color in this format. But let's be clear that if we can find replacements for it, we're pretty willing to. Yes, absolutely. I, I say good in that, like, oh, I'm building my deck. What card do I want in this slot among the available legal cards? And it is shock. And I am happy that I get to play shock instead of not. Understood. Uh, But yeah, that's about it. Wild Slash maybe does some damage prevention-y things alongside Monastery Swiss Spear, but it ain't happening here. So yeah, could be literal shock. Wouldn't make a difference. Anyway, if there is some instant speed interaction thing i would also like it to be very cheap like i do want to kill a prowess creature on turn one not on turn two uh i want to be able to interact with my opponent trying to felidar sahili me for one mana i mean i don't think that there is a better option than than shock slash uh wild slash mostly agree but yeah i i do want to fix up the mana and that might just be the best way to do it so uh, seventh place, another Phoenix deck. Uh, these decks are all somewhat close. I mean, you see different threats uh, coming out of the sideboard and stuff. Maybe some different land counts. People playing throw possibility instead of chart, of course. But realistically, they're all doing a lot of the same stuff. I love how all of them know to play exactly two Merchant of the Veil. They have figured out the perfect number, and without question, it is two. E- well... Uh, I guess this person, Sora, doesn't have Fiery Temper, but I I don't know. They only have one Lightning Axe, that's yeah. why. So I, I don't know that two is actually correct, but I've actually been pretty happy with that card. Okay. And then like Treasure Cruise in the mid game gives you a bunch of resources, so you get to make a bunch of land drops, and then Casting Merchant in some grindy matchup like Saltai or Azorius or whatever, it's actually just good. Yeah, I've seen it a bit even in Standard, and uh, on the battlefield, it's a fine card, so I, I believe that. Yeah, I, I used to just think that it was pretty crappy on both sides, and I'm I'm warming up to both of them. Okay. And eighth place, another Phoenix deck. Uh, this one has two things in the ice, two Jace Vrins Prodigy. I do think that Jace is quite good in this deck. Seems I, like it. I don't know where it fits, though. I mean, if nothing else, think about Jace looting, and then you discard Fiery Temper. Sounds good to me. Also fills your graveyard for Treasure Cruise. But uh, Phoenix in general is just 
erring a little bit more on the aggressive side of things, so it makes sense to have Thing in the Ice instead, but could be part of a good sideboard plan, but also runs afoul of a lot of graveyard hate. You know, people are bringing Rest in Peace to try and beat your Phoenixes and Cruises. Well, Jace being a looter isn't the worst thing, but it's not a card that you necessarily want to side in against Rest in Peace, so maybe you're just better off doing something else. But I do think a couple copies made make sense. I feel you. So that that's it. That's our first top eight in a brand new format. Anything missing catching your eye? Anything like, say, Etherworks Marvel? Well, the, the top eight is uh, Phoenix, Copycat, Sultai, and then one mm. mono blue. Mm. Marvel, I am less high on, although I did figure out actually a way how to build it. But I also want to note that if you read my article, like how I submitted it, like the words I sent in, and ignore the title, that is probably a good idea because I did not title it that. And if you read if you read the title and then read the article, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm going to give everyone listening to this podcast a little tip for engaging with StarCityGames.com. Always ignore the title. I've, I've never written a title to one of my articles. They usually don't make any sense. Always ignore the title. I, I typically title my own things occasionally. I like that. I just forget and I send it in blank or whatever. And they're just like, uh, okay, I'm just going to make something up. But a lot of the time I have like a very clear title labeled on it. And sometimes they change it and it makes me mad. And in this case, you know, my title was bland. It was just like the Marvel, the Aetherworks Marvel primer for pioneer or whatever. And they change it to just like Marvel's the best deck. And it's like Marvel's broken. Get ready for bands. Yeah. And it was like, I at no point said that, but thanks. <laughs> so yeah. And then, and then you bring it up now and it's like, yeah, I was working on the deck and I was playing it and I thought it was pretty good. But like at no point did I ever say like, it's the best deck in the format. Not close. Uh, I, I do think that it is like Emrakul is one of the cards that will likely get banned. And then, you know, maybe Marvel at some point, depending on how the first round of bands makes things shake out, right? Yeah, right now I think Marvel kind of like it did in the past is just getting held down by copycat and the Sultai lists are very well built. I do think that like four mana artifact is good against Abrupt Decay and Vraska and stuff like that. So you do have that okay. going for you. The thing that I didn't figure out until after I submitted the article was how exactly you're supposed to go about both beating aggro and hardcasting Emrakul in games that go long where like, you know, they disrupt you, kill your Marvel, you don't draw Marvel, whatever. And it's Castle Garenbrig. Oh, okay. So many games, so many games played out where I was like, God, I'm one mana short. Like, do I need to play like Nissa's yeah, Pilgrimage yeah. and stuff like that? No, it's just play Garenbrig, man. Like it's that card's probably underrepresented in this format as it stands right now. Oh, right? Like yeah. that should that should do more things. Oh yeah. So then that led me down the path of like, well, what if we caught all these crappy marvels and just played like uh team or emerge? And uh I think that that deck also has a lot of problems in the format, but as far as like casting turn five Emrakul with regularity, like that deck was doing it. And a lot nice. of the time it was with like flashback and Kozilek's return and stuff. And Kozilek's return is the other piece of the puzzle. Interesting. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on those archetypes. Definitely something I enjoyed in the past. And that's a lot of what this format is, right? Like just reviving all these incredible decks that we really enjoyed playing previously. Yeah, except now I get to cut crappy Servant of the Conduit for Jace and use Jace right. to loot away the K returns. And then you get to like flashback a tune with Ether to make your energy count high, hit your land drops, and either 
cast and resolve Marvel on four or cast Embercle on turn six or whatever. Sounds good to me. So yeah, the I, I made like a lot of big breakthroughs since that article and I want to, you know, publish some stuff. I think I'm going to, I was going to put like a, I don't know, update in the beginning of this article. Just be like, yo, this is the addition to the primer that I think is necessary. How about maybe a little YouTube deck tech action? Always could go there. Yeah, I could do that. I just thought it made more sense for this because it's like a continuation of what I wrote last week. And I don't know. Okay. Could certainly do both. I like both. Yeah. Uh, I, I Dude, I've been building decks nonstop. I don't know what uh, your experience has been in Pioneer, but yeah, we might have uh, our three best decks currently, but there's a lot of unexplored stuff out there. So what do you got for me? What's your coolest thing? I have been so busy and... Sadly, a lot of my time has been spent building Brawl decks. Uh, I spent a bunch of time traveling and covering Modern this weekend, so I was out for four days. I I don't really have anything exciting for you right now, Jerry. I could make something up and say I figured this out, but that's not how we do things here. We own up to what we're working on a lot. We own up to what we like, and I don't have any hard opinions on the format quite yet. I am excited for us to get to work playing some matchups against each other. And like I said, I would like to just start with this Soltai deck. It looks promising to me. I love the way it's constructed. It seems like the most uh, reasonable answers with some great proactivity backing it up. You have turn one accelerant. This just checks all the boxes for me that I can totally believe this is the starting point for the format. And I'm willing to go there and maybe tune some of the things that that deck doesn't have quite right yet. And I'm sure those will become clear to me as I get to play a ton of games here. I fixed all the problems. Just go check the the list on the website. Okay. That sounds convenient. Saved me a lot of time. Uh, Devotion is another deck that I think is built wrong presently that I want to work on and get the payoffs right. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious about that. A lot of people have been sending in deck lists. They, they all are wildly different. I mean, obviously they have eight elves, uh, Oath of Nyssa to some degree, Leyline of Abundance, Nykthos, some Once Upon a Times. Most of them have Nyssa, but like what payoffs people are using is totally up for grabs. I've talked to a few people and uh, they've said mostly that like uh, the people who are playing Ulamog at least like it because it works well with Nyssa. Whereas playing things like Wake Root Elemental to go infinite requires a Nykthos. Mm-hmm. So Ulamog is, hey, if you have Nykthos or even if you just have a bunch of mana dorks in a ley line or if you have a Nissa, there's just like a lot of different ways to actually cast that. And that usually translates into a kill. That tracks. Ulamog is a difficult card to beat. Yeah, it's true. I, I beat it a couple times when I was playing my Cauldron Familiar deck, though. So Yeah, don't do that anymore like i understand <laughs> i understand what you're trying to do but that does not seem like the best use of your time i i played one league over the course of like three days when i was busy it was pretty fun okay as long as you're enjoying yourself that's all we can really ask for yeah i mean i, I wasn't trying to break it i was i was like playing that while i was writing the marvel article so no but that's the best sign for the format like that you can do things like that and have it feel reasonable and enjoy yourself like that's not super realistic and modern. Yeah. And if this remains a space you can do that, that's really promising for the long-term health of this format. No, I agree completely. I, I think that there are a lot of things in place for the format. And uh, obviously that is going to change or whatever, most likely. But there are a lot of checks in place in the format that are very nice to have. And everything mm-hmm. is like 
you know, pretty low-ish, flat-ish power level. And there are some games where you just get beat down by like a Lagana band trailblazer and some games where you get emerald on, some games where you get copycatted, but like, I don't know, it all it all feels like the games are close and things are competitive. That's all fine in moderation. If, yes. if you're only doing that once in every 10 matches, that all sounds completely acceptable. Right. And things like Oko are around, but whatever. Like, it's just another card in the format, you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, we will talk more Pioneer. I will try and encourage you to get your brewing juices flowing because I want some input, man. I want to hear from you. Oh, they you will. Then. They will. Look, I just needed the time. I know. When, when there's travel on the horizon and you're trying to prep for that, it certainly eats into your schedule really hard. And like we've said, we have a, a billion balls up in the air right now, but the bruise will happen. Rest assured. All right. That is it for this episode. It is time for question of the week. Every week we solicit people on our discord for their burning questions. And we try and pick the best one, the most interesting one. Uh, maybe something that we have not actually discussed on the podcast that maybe relates to the thing that we we're talking about. And we got some good ones, uh, things that I didn't even think about. Otherwise, you know, maybe we would have done like a video on this or something. But uh, a question from Dylan, that is, what would you like to see in the band strategy in Pioneer? We never had an opportunity for a fresh format to discuss strategies such as that. They said they're open, open to doing off-cycle bands and then also Travis Gibson said, if you were Watsi, how would you handle the ban list for Pioneer and to a lesser extent right now standard? I think these questions are pretty similar and in the same vein. And uh, Travis Gibson, I will see you at SCG Con and I will hand you your, your arena deckless pin. Uh, as for Dylan, you will have to DM me your information. I will get that pin out for you. But Brian, what do you think that this entails? What do you think it changes? Like, I know... They said that they were going to go off cycle. They're going to be more aggressive about it. Like, do we just live in waking fear of bands after every tournament or what's the deal? Look, I did not think I would be saying this when this format was announced. I wouldn't do anything right now. Like, this looks good. I, and I'm shocked by how good it actually looks. And the style of games that I are being played, I think, are really interesting. There's a lot of really good diversity. Now, look. This is week one, and this can all change in a flash, and something can be discovered that is way better than everything else. And with SCG Con coming up, with the Invitational happening, there is now a huge incentive for that to happen. So I think we're going to check in after SCG Con, but for this first tournament, for these first results, I'm comfortable with this. And that is not at all what I expected to happen. I thought things were going to be way out of line, but this feels like a really promising format in its very nascent stages. 137 different archetypes on the first deck list dump. That's wild. Absolutely wild. Modern doesn't even hit that. No, I, I believe that was the biggest deck list dump of all time. It was. Which is one of the reasons we're not doing a deck list dump for this yeah. particular episode. And uh, at Yoman underscore five on the Twitter, Adam Hernandez, friend of the cast, basically did a Twitter feed like reaction to the deck dump uh, talking about the deck list and things that he liked about him, things that he didn't like, etc. So if you are fiending for that kind of content, go find his thread on Twitter. Absolutely. And uh, I think we retweeted his thread at pioneer DLS. So cool. You can also just go find that, but yeah, like 
what what do you what do you think is going to happen after that? I mean, like, say uh, people figure out that like Kethis is super busted for the Invitational, which not a lot of people seem to have been working on. And recently, I've seen a few tweets where people are like, "Oh, I'm I'm nine and one with this deck," and it's just like a very rough version of Kethis. So, what is the first thing? that I think is going to have to leave the format after people devote a lot of time to it. Maybe it's Emery. And I, I know that's weird given there's just no Emery here whatsoever. Yeah, that is weird. But that does feel like the most exploitable card to me and the one that can push things afoul of the style of games that are being played presently. One thing I will say from experimenting with various Emery decks is that there isn't a whole lot of juice for her to feed on. Like there's no Mistress Bobble. There's no engineered explosives. You have uh, Mox Amber. There's like Terrarian, Springleaf Drum. You know, like you get some stuff. For the most part, I've been using her as like a graveyard enabler when I was playing the uh, Cauldron Familiar deck. And it was like, she was getting back Smuggler's Copter and Witch's Ovens. And that's like the most impressive thing that I've seen so far. But I was actually pretty sure your deck was supposed to be playing Golden Egg, but that's besides the point. And Uh, I, I God. That's I know I, it's not a good magic card, but it has cross synergies with your cauldron familiar. Uh, yeah, yeah, cauldron familiar. Sure, and and you get payoffs from memory. So I think it would have been acceptable in your particular list. You also pad your life total a little bit, which is not the worst thing when you're trying to accomplish what you were doing. It's, it's just too mana intensive, and you end up just like looting, looting away like your fourth land a lot of the time. And you're you're just hell bent. Obviously, you can change the deck to be a little bit different, but right. There, there could be decks with like Gate to the Afterlife Emery or decks right. that try and make a bunch of mana and do like Emery Ballista things. But realistically, you know, think about what Emery is doing in the context of like Green Devotion or Copycat. It's just like, it just seems like a joke. Four cards to your graveyard is also something worth tracking. And this will scale with every artifact ever made. So all that yes. stuff comes to mind. So, But you're right. It doesn't look scary right now. And that speaks to my point that none of this really intimidates me. Oh, I guess I'm going to roll that back. If, the, if there's a card that is seemingly above and beyond everything else, it is either Saheeli or Felidar Guardian. Yeah. I, I think that's the, the cleanest thing to target. I, I would like a Saheeli ban this time instead of Felidar Guardian. I think that sure, just cool. switch things up. I like that. Well, the the cat can see play in like decks that are fun and good, right? Like no one yeah, plays Saheeli for. Value. It certainly won't, but I I understand what you're saying, and no, because yeah. then you just go back to playing Vanifar or whatever that is right. just fair, and you include a Felidar Guardian in that, and I think that's cool. But uh, maybe Saheeli doesn't really show up in places without the cat. Very true. Yeah, that, that is the most a foul card presently and the one that is seemingly situated at the top of the metagame as it stands right now. As far as these like Soltai decks and targeting something from that, I wouldn't. The fact that these decks are hanging seems like a good thing to me. Me too. If you felt differently, then you could maybe make an argument for Jace Friends Prodigy because I think that'll show up across the most decks. But I find that card interesting to play against. It doesn't have like those problematic play patterns to the same extent of something like Felidar Guardian. No. Or, or even Oko, I think. It's just like you play Jace, your opponent's size because they can't kill it. And then they play a thing and then you're just like, all right, loot, transform it, kill that, tick it up, do something else, untap, like kill your two things. It's just like the game does end very quickly when Jace is involved. So it doesn't 
kill you outright or force you to keep up in mana like Felidart does, but I do think that it is problematic in its own right, but blue also doesn't have a lot of power outside of like Jace and the Delve cards. Right. So I don't know. I, I feel like Cruz and and or Dig are more likely to go before Jace. Than Jace. Okay. That that's fine too. I mean in the abstract, I think all of these cards power level seems unacceptable. My point is just how things have played out thus far. It seems fine. And people really right. enjoy playing games of this format too. That's the biggest takeaway. And so I, I think the big takeaway from like the band strategy to me is that right now things look good. It is very clear what the best decks are, at least from the results of the pioneer challenge. So I mm -hmm. would not expect any bans to happen yet. SCG con could change things because it is a larger tournament. MCQ and, this weekend too, actually oh, on Friday. Yeah. So just a couple days Ooh. away. Okay. Yeah. I want to play in that. Yeah. I would like to play that as well. Okay. Uh, we should, we should talk about that then. And then after that, you'll, you'll be able to tell, like there's going to be yep. online discourse. You know, if, if Felidar is like six of the top eight or something, then it's just like, okay. Yeah. I don't know when Easy this target. Is, yeah. I don't know when this is happening, but like, this is definitely going to happen. And uh, a thing to note is that, they said that they were going to take like an aggressive stance on the BNR list. I think that means like an aggressive stance in regards to unbans too. Like, okay. You could have a format and it's like, well, you know, three of the, of every top eight has been comprised of copycat. So we're going to take that off. And then the next few tournaments are just like, you know, six of eight Marvel, six of eight Marvel, six of eight Marvel. It's just like, oh, okay, let's unban Felidar. You know, like they might just do that instead of, you know, banning Marvel and continuing to ban things from there. Yep. I like that approach. And it also, if you're talking about like investments, it takes the sting off a little bit when people get their cards banned, if they can come back in the future. Yeah. And they don't just immediately devalue to nothing. Like certainly there'll still be impacts, but... Uh, if you make this kind of rotating door policy and, you know, say you print a card, which has a meaningful impact on something like Felidar Guardian, which interacts with it in a favorable way and maybe even invalidates it to some extent. And then you can bring that card back to the table and see how it's impacted by this new print. Uh, that would be a really interesting way to go about the format as well. We could use some good hate bears. Sure. I'm can, down for that. Can I just get a pithing needle grizzly bear? Is that too much? Yeah, I'll give it to you. Why not? Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. I would also like some some sort of combat ability, but I'm not I'm not going to be greedy about that. Yeah, you asked for a grizzly bear, so that's what you're getting. Yeah, not revoker. Revoker does not count. Revoker stinks. One toughness is so bad. I want at least grizzly bear. Just that one more point of toughness. It it matters, man. It matters a lot. Sure. Anyway, I I think it will be very easy to see what is going to happen, which is cool. And you'll probably be able to tell. And if basically if Twitter is yelling about it, it'll probably happen. Well, look, there's there's upside and downside to that. But at least having some certainty and clarity and know that when a card gets a little out of line, the hammer's coming fast. Uh, that's worth a lot, as opposed to the present state of standard where there's all these competing factors and, you know, they can't really take the action they would love to take because of the implications of it with those shackles off when it comes to the pioneer format, some clarity will be much appreciated. 
Yeah, I, I wonder if they want to do anything like, you know, just release some data or like kind of like a watch list or whatever. So people have some idea of what's happening, because I think that's kind of the problem, right? Is like people are wondering if they're going to have to live in fear that their thing mm-hmm. is just going to get banned out from under them. I don't think yeah. that's the case. I think it will be apparent based on results and what people are saying on social and stuff like that, whether or not uh, any sort of action is coming. But being a little bit more transparent about it would be cool. I like the watch list idea. Yeah, I mean, there were problems with it before, right? Where it's like anything on the watch list is basically saying like, don't ban or don't buy into this card. Okay, it's, that's it, fine. It's Why like is a, that a bad thing? Because it's like a soft ban. And I get it, it. So you're saying like, okay, uh, Felidar's on the watch list. And then people are like, okay, I guess I'm selling all my Sahilis. And then the next five tournaments, like Felidar does poorly because no one's playing it because they all sold them all. You know, it, it like doesn't actually, it, it just like influences the format in a bad way, right? Like in, in kind of like a cheaty way. I think there'll always be group of people who will play the best deck regardless of that fear. I agree with you. And maybe if the same person is the only playing person playing the deck and they, you know, say they're Matt Nass or whatever, then it's like, wait a second, there's something going on here, you know? But if that person doesn't continually do well, or they top eight every other tournament, like people are going to be like, Oh, this, this format's good. But it just means that people will never pick up the cards that go in that deck. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe there's a better way to do it that we're not thinking of yet. Provisional bans, a timeout. I, I like those yeah. approaches a lot. Sure. Something new. We can do something new. Don't be afraid to try something new with this format. Yeah, we can definitely do something works, new. It doesn't go back. We can definitely do something new. I don't know if like a timeout actually does it for you. Like you'd have to get meaningful data from it. Like you could try, all right, Magic Online, Felidar Guardian is banned from two weeks. We want to see what the format looks like with it gone for those two weeks. And we're going to be looking at this data very hard. I could see that being a thing. But if you're just like, oh, I'm just going to ban it for three months just because, and then I'll unban it. It's like, well, that's not helpful. You're not doing anything with that data, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, you could see how that would have been beneficial in the current standard situation, right? Like, two weeks of testing a feel of the dead band before any of this happened would have pointed very clearly to the fact that this was going to be a disaster. Yeah. And saved us a lot of headaches. Yep. No, I, I agree with you, but you need everyone participating as they normally would not people knowing that they're in a science experiment, you know? Sure. Because what if there are people that have twisted priorities where it's like, well, I'm playing on ladder, but it's not real because field isn't banned for my PTQ. So I'm not going to try and win because there's no point to it. So I'm not going to buy into these Okos, which I think are obviously the best thing. And then it's like the data gets skewed. Right. Of course. Always a concern. So uh, it is it is tough. I, I feel like they're going to be able to figure out something and hopefully they do some cool stuff with it because I think this presents them a unique unique opportunity. But it's it's also possible that they just don't do anything with it. And then, you know, maybe it does take like two or three tournaments in a row for, you know, six of eight Felidar to get any traction on the card. But I doubt it. I feel like they're just going to be monitoring Magic Online data more heavily than anything else, like, you know, some random opens or invitational or whatever. Yeah. Huge source of data, especially with the participation rates at this point. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of actionable things pulled from that. Yep. And I know that they're already looking at it too. 
And I, I don't know what the, the results are or anything, but it's like, oh yeah, we have a lot of data and you know, we, we, we are monitoring things. So good. Glad to hear that. Yeah. That's game. Good luck.